we have these crossroads. And you know, either way you choose, your life is going to be different. The universe doesn't exist, but God thinks it does. We have to stop consuming our culture. We have to create culture. Stupidity has a definite evolutionary function. I am all for abolishing stupidity, but before it goes, we should pay tribute to it. Well, Sequoia, we're here at the Corkboard Bazaar. We sure are. I'm imagining us as like secret agents sort of stepping into this black and white world. We are. And, and yeah, we're in we're in our little basement slash work study slash office area. Which we are. Oh, we are. It's actually just your basement. Yeah, but we're like dressed a lot snazzier than we are right now. And everything's in black and white. Yeah. And there's yeah, like yeah, a yeah. soundtrack behind us that's like some low, smooth jazz music. And I'm about to crack open a case file. Yeah. 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 Get noir on a Sunday afternoon. Yes. That's yeah. just how I feel in my mind right now. Hell yeah. I, I like it. Yeah. So since we're doing bonus episodes that focus more on like theosophical stuff, I am related stuff. Hey man, turns out everything focuses on theosophical stuff. Isn't that funny? It kind of do. And especially after your episode on the Kybelion. Yeah. That's what got me down this track because I had no idea this existed, right? Does it exist? I mean, that's what we're here to find out. All okay. right. <laughs> you know, Helena Petrovna Blavatsky, right? Big Helen, I mean, yeah. And anyone listening to this, come on, you know. You know. You know, the big old HPB. And her most notable work is The Secret, the Secret Doctrine which outlines the basic tenets of theosophy. I'm sorry. I, I, I just thought of the phrase Isis Unchained. Yeah. Like, it's not. It's Isis Unveiled but, is the other one. But <laughs> I don't know why. That's funny to me. Isis Undressed. Isis un. She's going to smite you. Yeah. Yeah. So The Secret Doctrine, it's published in 1888. It includes all of the... Theosophical views of the nature of the universe. How how is our universe made? It's the it's the whole it's <coughs> the now not so secret doctrine. Yes, and it's composed of two volumes: Cosmogenesis and Anthropogenesis. And that would be the formation of the universe, the gener- genesis of the universe, and then the genesis of man. Yes. Mm. Yes. Fuck yeah. You know how babies are made, where we come from, where we're going, all, that, she, all that fun stuff. Does she go into great detail on how babies were made? Not really. I'm not sure she ever found out about that. There's a lot of talk about the germ and the egg and the the, all this stuff. Interesting. The cream of the cosmos. Mm. You know, there's a lot of eggs. (laughs) Girl had eggs on her mind. Sure did. And it's like it's no, it's more like a Russian nesting doll egg, though. Yeah, yeah. Everything is within each other. In theosophy, it's just like. There's the seven principles of the body. There's the seven different minds. There's the seven different universes that are within the seven ages of man. Like, yeah. you know, like yeah, everything yeah, yeah. is just a Russian nesting doll of information. It's one of those, like, those puzzle boxes that I love so much. Yeah. Yeah. So we know about the secret doctrine. Yeah, we did it. Kind of. Yeah, I mean, we know, we know that thing. it exists. Yeah. I don't really... I don't have a clear idea of what's in it. One time I've tried to read it. I've tried to read it too. In college, I remember going to the library and picking it up and opening it up and just like trying to understand anything. Right. No. No. Definitely. It's not, not gonna happen. 
Did you know that the secret doctrine is actually based on something called the stanzas of Jian? Allegedly. <laughs> did you know that? I did. Actually. I didn't know that. I did. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, look at you, Mr. I'm a smart fucker. Yeah, I remember dumb shit that no, that doesn't matter to anyone. Yeah. Stanzas <laughs> of Jian. These are a collection of ancient texts that Blavatsky claimed to have accessed and translated during her spiritual journeys abroad. They describe the creation and evolution of the universe and humanity's spiritual journey through various incarnations. They're said to have been composed by highly evolved beings known as the Mahatmas, the Lords of Wisdom. You know. The Masters. The Masters. Yeah. Those guys who have been imparting their knowledge to humanity throughout history. Did they, like, write them in, like, a... Is it, like, some cosmic book? Written in light. Yeah, yeah. like written in um, the universal cosmic language, which is Zenzar. We'll we'll get into that. We'll get into Zenzar? (laughs) Okay, all right, all right. Uh, The stanzas have been a subject of controversy and debate within the theosophical community. You know, some criticizing Blavatsky's claim of having translated the stanzas, arguing that these are just from her imagination, right? Right. These aren't actual ancient texts from anything. This is just another one of those devices saying it yeah. came from somewhere that's not Big Helen, so people take it more seriously right. than they would take Big Helen. Then there's other people, other scholars who are like, okay, yeah, sure, maybe they're not like real, real, but they're based on real esoteric teachings that she experienced when she was traveling. And, you know, maybe, maybe we just don't understand these stanzas because oh. their meaning has been you know, lost or obscured over time. We just, oh, we just I hate that it. shit. I hate that shit. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, a few, a good few. A good few. She just straight up plagiarized most of it. Mm, probably. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's basically the same thing that the second group of people saying, except they're trying to give her a pass. Right. And say that it's okay because there's useful knowledge. It's in not, there anyway. there's, there's no real, it's not, it's not really real, but it's based on this other real, so it's not real. So right. it's not an actual thing. Yep. Yeah. Well, despite the controversy surrounding the stanzas of Jian, they continue to be a subject of interest and study among those drawn to theosophy and the teachings of Blavatsky. And, real or not, like I said, many theosophists believe that the stanzas contain important spiritual teachings and insights that can help individuals on their own spiritual journey, which is what theosophy is all about, just helping you, you know, Yeah. be your best you. Yay! <laughs> and get magic powers. Yeah. So I've heard. So um, what I'd like to do in this episode is just go through the first seven stanzas in the first section, Cosmogenesis. Let's learn about the creation of the universe, you know? Okay. All right. So uh, Sequoia, if you would, read a little bit from the intro. The history of cosmic evolution as traced in the stanzas is, so to say, the abstract algebraic... Oh, it's going to be one of these. Okay is, so to say, the abstract algebraical formula of that evolution. Hence, the student must not expect to find there an account of all the stages and transformations which intervene between the first beginnings of universal evolution and our present state. To give such an account would be as impossible as it would be incomprehensible to men who cannot grasp the nature of even the plane of existence next to that which, for the moment, their consciousness is limited. The stanzas, therefore, give an abstract formula which can be applied mutatis Mutandus, to all evolution, to that of our tiny Earth, to that of the chain of planets of which the Earth forms one, to the solar system to which that chain belongs, and so on. 
in an ascending scale till their mind reels and is, and is exhausted in the effort. So basically, like, hey, this doesn't include all the details. <laughs> We're not telling you everything about the creation of the universe from, from A to Z with everything in between, right? This is just a blueprint. Got it? Yeah, this is a... Uh, a cheat this it's um it's like a speed square yeah uh, yeah it's actually a kind of a great analogy okay so these stanzas right they're gonna give us a formula magic yes. formula and we can apply that to multiple stages of evolution because like she said this is just like a a condensed version of everything yeah 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 <clears throat> she also writes that, um, you know, the reader has to bear in mind that the stanzas, the stanzas given, treat only of the cosmogony of our own planetary system and what is visible around it. The secret teachings with regard to the evolution of the universal cosmos cannot be given, since they could not be understood by the highest minds in this age, and there seems to be very few initiates even among the greatest, who are allowed to speculate upon this subject. So she's basically saying, yes, this is the creation of the universe, but not really. Okay. Because in theosophy, our universe is like an egg contained within a void. And everything within our galaxy, our universe, our celestial beings and, and space and everything, that's within that egg mm -hmm. that is floating in this other place. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's actually like the universal cosmos is, is that void out there. Okay. Yeah. So we don't know how that got there. We have no idea. We're just, we're speculating on the creation of the egg. Okay. That we're in. Right. Yeah. Good grief. But we don't know about the void. We don't know about the void. How did that get there? Don't know. Don't know. It's not even <laughs> worth talking about. It's just too, too yes. outside, too big. So what is Jian? Like, what, what does that mean? Well... It's thought that it's a corruption or variation of the Sanskrit word jhana, which means meditation or contemplation. Okay. So in this context, jhana could be understood as like, it represents a body of wisdom that is obtained through deep contemplation, the stanzas of jhana. Yeah, like this, of, the sort of poetry of contemplation. Yes. Okay. But like, here's the thing about Blavatsky. Because she traveled to Tibet and she met all of these foreign people... She didn't know how to spell the things that they were saying because right. she could only write down things phonetically, like in her tongue. Right, right. <clears throat> the best that she could so that she would remember how to pronounce them, but she wasn't writing them down like in their language to know what the actual word is. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of words in theosophy that are kind of like that, that have a question mark around them where it's like, hmm, not really sure what this means, but it's close to... It's close to this Sanskrit word, and it's close to this other Tibetan word, and hmm, we, we kind of don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, yeah. No, I mean, that, that makes sense. Especially when you've got, like, a lot of, I don't know, words that mean similar things. Right. Different cultures and shit. And then it's like, okay, what is a stanza, then? It's a poetry section. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a little verse of a poem. So the first section, of course, made out of seven stanzas because theosophy. Seven. We've got seven. Seven. Yeah. It's like seven little poems. Yeah. That all describe the creation of our 
universe. I wish I can't fucking write poetry anymore. I've never been good at rhymes. But I haven't written a song in so fucking long. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't written a song in a long time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Write a song. Even if it's a bad one. I'll adapt it from the stanzas of Gian. There you go. <laughs> uh, which, by the way, like I said, were originally inscribed on palm leaves in Senzar. The universal language of the cosmos. But it's also been said to just be like ancient Sanskrit. I don't know. Yeah. Sensar, Sanskrit. Right. Sure. So so these palm leaves covered in Sensar, right? They were preserved and made impermeable to water, fire, and air in these secret underground chambers in Tibet. Okay. Which were then eventually discovered and translated into modern languages by Blavatsky. Yeah. How, how'd she get them? How'd she get there? That's a good fucking question, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> Because these stanzas, okay. Oh, well, it says they're compiled and translated by a group of Tibetan monks led by Kuhumi. Yeah. Are we getting there? That's who, yes. Okay. So the stanzas are actually part of a larger group of ancient texts because, <laughs> again, this is theosophy and everything is an egg within an egg. Right. This is a Russian yeah. testing doll of stuff. I, so the stanzas aren't even just their own thing. They're like contained within another thing, which is the books of Kayute. That's the formula she's talking about. Yeah. I kind of love it. Like she yep. sticks with the bit, like the, 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 um, the framework yeah. that has been established. Yeah. So these books of Cayute, right? They're supposed to be 30, 35 volumes that are found in the libraries of Tibetan monasteries. Um, yeah. Okay. And it's just, it's just all the learning. Yeah. They, you know, basically... You want to know the secrets of the universe? Here they are. Here's the spiritual evolution of humanity, the nature of the cosmos, it, you know. And these, the books of Cayute, I'm just, I don't know if that's how it's pronounced. Cute, cutie? <laughs> <laughs> the books of cutie. <laughs> yeah, but it would be cute. Yeah. In most la languages, it would be cute. Cute. Usually the I is the long, is the double E sound. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I have no idea. It's always like a safe bet to go for the E pronunciation of, of I. Cute. But sometimes it's not. Cute like just sounds like it feels better in my mouth. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. These books, who were they written by? You know, who's, who's any of this shit written by? I don't know. A group of ancient sages and seers of different cultures and civilizations throughout history. Okay. You see, these books are actually a compilation of, of stuff from other places that's even older than this period of time. Okay. So it's not like these books were just commissioned and written and- They're their own egg? Yeah. Okay. And they contain works from India, Tibet, China, Egypt, and they're compiled by a, a group of Tibetan monks led by Master Kuthumi. Ah. Yes. There he is. And that's that's who compiled and translated the books of Cayute so that they could then be, you know, and the, the stanzas of Gian were included in that. Okay. So stanzas of, of Kuhumi helped out Blavatsky to translate them. Okay. So so the stanzas of Gian are just one part of this larger library. Yes. Okay. It's not like a distillation of this library, but it's just like it's in there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, the stanzas are the first volume of commentaries upon the seven secret folios of Cayute, which, by the way, were derived from another very old book. <laughs> 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 I'm, just, 
you know, because of course. <laughs> so that's fucking funny. What do these stanzas say? These mysterious stanzas. Well, they're kind of cryptic and like written very symbolically. There's a lot of words that we're going to have to go and look up in order to crack the code, so okay. to say. All right. But before we begin, Blavatsky actually has has something to say. Before the reader proceeds to the consideration of the stanzas from the Book of John, which form the basis of the present work, it is absolutely necessary that he should be made acquainted with the few fundamental conceptions which underlie and pervade the entire system of thought to which his attention is invited. These basic ideas are few in number, and their clear apprehension depends on the understanding of all that follows. Therefore, no apology is required for asking the reader to make himself familiar with them first, before entering on the perusal of the work itself. Yeah. So basically, don't don't read these stanzas unless you understand these these few things, okay? Yeah. We got three fundamental propositions that we just gotta, gotta take, underline. We gotta, they gotta take take them on their face. Like yeah. These just accept these. Okay. Yeah. So the first of these propositions is this idea that there's one absolute reality: the existence of an ultimate, eternal infinite reality beyond the comprehension of the human mind you will never comprehend it okay and this reality is the source of all existence it's present within every aspect of the universe often referred to as the absolute the one the divine principle sometimes it's referred to just as that god like look at that yeah yeah okay so this reality is beyond any attributes or distinctions can't be described in any conventional terms, but it's the foundation for all existence and everything else emanates from it. Sorry, from that. From that? Yes. All of- Everything emanates from, from that. that. Okay. And we all contain an aspect of that. Okay. That is in everything. It's God. Yeah, but gotcha. we'll never understand it, but it's in us. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> now we got the law of period. God, I can't say that. Periodicity? Yeah. So theosophy, <laughs> it's really concerned with this idea of cycles. Right. And evolution, things happening in stages. Yeah. So the second fundamental proposition of theosophy deals with this, the, cyc- the cyclical nature of the universe. Okay. This idea that the universe and everything in it is constantly undergoing this endless cycle of manifestation and dissolution. Like, you're born, die, born, die, born, die. Right. And that's just always, always happening, and it applies to all levels of existence from the smallest atom to the largest cosmic structure that you could think of. Right. Like, there's cosmic cycles going on, too. It's not yeah, just, yeah, yeah. you know, you got your own cycles, but so do the planets, so does everything else. Yeah. Yeah. Um... <clears throat> Makes and sense. Since the universe is eternal, right? Without a beginning or an end, this, you know, that. Yeah. That. That's also undergoing continuous cycles of manifestation and dissolution. Right. Known respectively as the Manvantaras and Pralayas. Pralayas? Dude, it's. I'm not, I can't pronounce Sanskrit. I'm not going to pretend I can. Mavantara and Pralaya. So during a Mavantara, that means that the universe is in a state of activity and existence. Like the sun is up. Sure. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The day is happening. Life. Pralaya, that's a state of rest or non-manifestation. Right. And the cyclic process that takes place 
it's driven by this universal law, you know, of cosmic evolution of that we exist in cycles. Okay. Yeah. All things are going through cycles, micro, macro, inner, outer, all the time. And it's this cycle of yin and yang. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Good, bad, exists, doesn't. Right. Like day, night, everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Going going through all that. Waking, sleeping. Yes. Living, dying. Yeah. Also has to do with like the law of karma, reincarnation, all of that relates to this idea of going through cycles. Sure. And then... (laughs) We got the third fundamental proposition that we got to understand in order to move forward. This is the idea that there's a universal brotherhood of humanity, that all life forms, including human beings, are interconnected and interdependent. Okay. We're all one, you know? It emphasizes the essential unity and oneness of everything in the universe. The idea that all beings share a common origin and are all part of a single universal family, for better or worse. Like you, the tree, everything around you. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And this interconnectedness extends beyond humans to all forms of life, even inanimate objects, like literally everything. We're all all in this shit together. Okay, so it's a sort of animist. um... Yeah. Okay. Because anything that's here is a form of life, you know? Yeah. In the realm of the living. I didn't realize that theosophy got so animistic. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. So this third principle is based on the understanding that, you know, that divine essence, the divine spark, like we said, it's present in all things. And also, there's so many different words for the same thing. It's the absolute. Also, we'll hear, like, the monad is another term for the one. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Atman. The monad was, uh, uh, it was John Dee um, came up with the concept of the monad. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. This little... Scribble, uh, they put all like the planetary symbols together or like a bunch of them. And it's like this little drawing is, is the thing, the monad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Crazy prick. <laughs> so now that we understand that, you know, yeah. there's one absolute reality. Everything happens in cycles and everything's connected. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. I yeah, can yeah, accept yeah. that. Got sure. It. Fine. Okay. Moving on. Now we can open up the stanzas. Mm. So the first one, it's very nice how um, in the stanzas of Gian, like the text, Blavatsky does include a little portion ahead of the stanzas to explain briefly like what all of them are. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, thank you for that. And I think as we go through the first two, I want to keep in mind this idea that's brought up wh- wherever you look this up. It'll say... The first and the second stanzas seem fundamentally the same, but to an attuned chela or student, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. they'll pick up on the subtle differences between the two. So there is a difference between the first and second stanza, but they basically express the same thing with mild differences. Okay. Which is interesting, but both of them describe the state of the one, the absolute, the monad, whatever you want to call it. Yep. During pralaya, the period of non-manifestation, nighttime, in a, before the beginning of any manifestation. Yeah. Before yeah, the yeah. Mavantara. Yeah. The Manvantara. Yeah. Yeah. So these, the first two stanzas describe a state basically that's totally beyond human comprehension, but we're going to try to because, you know, it was written in Senzar, then it was so kindly translated for us by Master Kudhumi and Blavatsky, mm. so... 
They might as well. And we're also going to encounter some terminology that we might not understand. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure. And, um, you know, we'll just stop and explain that at the end of... If there's any terms that need to be explained, we'll do it at the end of the sentence. And then move on to the next line. Yeah. Yeah. So stanza one, the night of the universe. Take it away, Sequoia. The eternal parent, wrapped in her ever-invisible robes, had slumbered once again for seven eternities. Time was not, for it lay asleep in the infinite bosom of duration. Universal mind was not, for there was no ah-he to contain, hence to manifest it, to contain it. Ahi meaning celestial beings? Yeah, so Ahi is another word for the primordial seven, who are also called the Gianni Chohans. Remember okay. how, like, there's Chelas and there's Chohans? Chelas and Chohans. Chohans yeah. teachers, Chelas students. So right, there's right. these Gianni Chohans who are the teachers of meditation. They're also okay. the seven archangels of Christianity. Okay. They're called the architects, the builders, the Ahi or the Gianni Chohans. Whatever you want to fucking call them. Angels. Primordial seven. Yeah, they're angels. They're spiritual beings. I understand that. Yeah. They're spiritual beings, the Elohim, the messengers, whatever. Yeah. They're the vehicle for the manifestation of the divine, the universal thought and will, the intelligent forces that give to and enact nature through, you know. Yeah. Yeah. They, okay. take, they take the divine and, and bring it down to the material. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're the first uh, fucking... Um... <clears throat> Things to ever exist, basically. Yeah, and the, f the first actors, the first uh, agents. Yeah, the Ahi. Yeah. yeah, okay. The seven ways to bliss were not. The great causes of misery were not. For there was no, for there was no one to produce and get ensnared by them. Darkness alone filled the boundaries, filled the... Bleh, Darkness alone filled the boundless all, for father, mother, and son were once more one, and the son had not awakened yet for the new wheel and his pilgrimage thereon. Yeah. Okay. So, so far, we're getting the point. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, nothing exists yet. There's no bliss. There's no misery. There's, there's no one to feel or experience anything. Right. It's just a great darkness. Right. Uh, okay. The seven sublime lords and their seven... The seven sublime lords and the seven truths had ceased to be, and the universe, the son of necessity, was in, immersed in Puranishpana, absolute perfection, which is Yongrub. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to read that part. Puranishpana. To be outbreathed by that which is which is and yet is not. Not was. Yeah. Okay, so the seven sublime lords basically, you know, the Ahi. Yeah. <laughs> Just another term for the same things. Seven sublime yeah. lords. They still, yeah, they don't exist. Except the I like archons, that. The the planets. Instead of saying that there were none, it says they had ceased to be, almost implying that they had in the past. What well, implies the don't. cycle. Right, the because even nature. the first line says the eternal parent wrapped in her ever invisible robes had slumbered once again yeah. for seven eternities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like there's this cycle of she sleeps, then she wakes. Yeah. And also the idea of the eternal parent um, being a she, you know, we're including some feminine principles within that idea of like space. Well, space, I mean, and also like... The great see, darkness that from which everything springs forth being like a feminine principle. I mean, you see that in like Thalema, which mm -hmm. uh, with uh, Nuit being 
the space, you know, the tree of life, Bina, is the is space. Right. Right. So when they say that the seven sublime lords are immersed in Paranishpana, that's a state of bliss and absolute wisdom and perfection. Like that is a state of of truth and and be no that's it's like the the highest euphoria ever okay yeah so they're suspended there in this state of absolute bliss and non-being non-duality because they've ceased to be right okay the causes of existence had been done away with the visible that was and the invisible that is rested in eternal non-being the one being Alone, the one form of existence stretched boundless, infinite, causeless, in dreamless sleep, and life pulsated unconscious in universal space, throughout the all-presence which is sensed by the opened eye of the dong- dongma. So, the all is just there, yeah, in a dreamless sleep, and life is there, and but there's also the opened eye of the dongma. What is that? What is that? So, dongma is a Tibetan word that means a purified soul, a seer, an initiate who has attained full wisdom. Throughout the all, and life pulsated unconscious in universal space, throughout throughout that all presence, the all presence which is sensed by the opened eye of the dogma, so uh, sensed by the third eye of a crazy man. Right. Yeah. Okay. But where was the dogma when the alaya of the universe was in Paramartha? And the great wheel was in Anupadaka. <laughs> okay, so that one we're going to need to break down, Yes, right? yes. Because that's the last line of the first stanza, the night of the universe. But where was the Dangma? Where was the Dangma? Where was this high initiate who has attained full wisdom? Yeah. When the Alaya of the universe, meaning the undifferentiated matter, the, the pre-cosmic matter of the universe, it's another word for mother- but also like the great darkness, space. So like the empty space of the universe. Okay. So when the the empty space, the the first undifferentiated matter of the universe was in Paramartha. That is the highest or whole non-dualistic truth. It's the state of true self-consciousness where reality is is empty. It's the true state of reality and everything where nothing matters, there's no duality. So where was undifferentiated matter when everything was nothing? And where was the seer where everything yeah. where, where was and And where was Anapadaka? Now this is a word derived from Sanskrit that means parentless or having no material parent. This idea of a, a self produced thing. So where was the student, the the human yeah. student that is perceiving this in their third eye? Yeah. How can they see this when... If it's all nothing. Yeah, before everything was nothing. Yeah. And the great wheel was self-produced. Like, if everything was born out of nothing and humans didn't exist, how, how can the seer see this? Yeah, okay. That brings us into stanza two, the idea of differentiation. Where were the builders, the luminous sons of Manvantaric Dawn, and the unknown darkness in their Ahi, Paranishpana, the producers of form, from no form, the root of the world, the Devamatri and Svabhavat, Svabhavat, rested in the bliss of non-being. Yeah, so here we go again. Here we go. 
Here we go again, because that's the f- just the first line. That's a lot. So where were the builders, the luminous sons of the Monventaric Dawn? Again, that's just the... another word for the Ahi. Yep, got and it. The unknown darkness in their Ahi. The producers of... In their Ahi Parishpana. So in... In their Ahi... Yes. In the world of... So per- Parishpana, right? That was a state of absolute bliss and wisdom yeah. and perfection. So that's like the Ahis... They're sleeping. The, yeah. They're sleepy They're realm. sleeping. Yeah. Yeah. They're in the little sleepy realm. Where were they? That's where they were. Yeah. And the producers... Resting in the bliss of non-being. The producers of form from no form. The root of the world. The Deva Matri and Sabvahat. Resting in a bliss of non-being. So let's break that down. I mean, I think the... That just means basically mother and father, like feminine principle and yeah, master. The producers of form and, and yeah. from no form, the root, the, the builders, uh, yeah, they just rested in the bliss of non-being. Yeah. Where was silence? Where were the ears to sense it? No, there was neither silence nor sound, not save ceaseless eternal breath. Okay. The hour had not yet struck. The ray had not yet flashed into the germ. The matripadma had not yet swollen. The mother lotus. Okay. So, so the unfolding of, like, of the universe. Yeah. yeah. So a lot, this is a lot of saying the exact same thing over and over again. Yes. Yeah. Her heart had not yet opened for the one ray to enter, thence to fall as three into four into the lap of Maya. Okay. Maya being materiality. The This, this is the illusion of... Yes, our world. Life. The yeah. world of illusion. Yeah. Like, we live in Maya. Yeah. And when it says, you know, her heart had not yet opened for the one ray... That means like the absolute. Yeah. So yep. thence to fall as three into four into the lap of Maya. So three into four, that refers to this idea of three, the father, mother, and son. Yep. Yep. Because uh, we can't exist without um, that trinity. Yep. And, and, right. and the fourth is Maya. The four elements, uh, the so, four holy ones. Yeah. So you get this, you see this in, um, you know, the, the, the court cards in, in tarot yep. are, are this. Um, the king, and you see this also in like, uh, say for Yetzera, this fire and water come together to produce the sun, yep, air, and then fucking into materiality mm-hmm. to Maya. God, it's no way to even talk about that. Sh- I'm sure I fucked that up too. I'm just realizing I know that that's this is. <laughs> Aren't there better ways to make a living? <laughs> No, um, yeah. yeah, so, yep. All right. The seven sons were not yet born from the web of light. Darkness alone was father-mother. Svabhavat and Svabhavat was in darkness. These two are the germ, and the germ is one. The universe was still concealed in the divine thought and the divine bosom. So this idea, like, these two are the germ, and the germ is one. This idea of father-mother? Father-mother, yeah. Um... And the germ, you know, is one. It's basically like in order for the universe to exist, this father, mother, like this coming together of opposites needs to happen. Like, but also in order for the father, mother to exist, like the universe needs. It's a chicken or the egg conundrum. Right. Really. Right. Is what it is. It's basically saying that it's all. Well, it's I mean, the thing is like mm, it's like it's self-creating. It's it. The father being the, the light and void, and it's light and void, and it's kind of like it's the awareness of it that is the bringing of it into being from 
I don't fucking know, man. Yeah. Well, stanza three is the awakening of the cosmos. Okay. So this is like a kind of like uh, sex ed, you know, because this is when the Chela learns about the reawakening of the universe after that state of rest, you know, when when it wakes up and and everything like becomes individualized and, you know, cosmic evolution kind of starts. Yeah. That, that's what's happening in stanza three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. The last vibration of the seventh eternity thrills through infinitude. The mother swells, expanding from within without, like the bud of the lotus. Okay. Yep. Wait, okay. She's opening up. The mother swells, expanding born. from within without. Yeah, she's, baby's getting, she's, she's all, she's pregnant as shit. Baby's coming. All right. The vibration sweeps along, touching with its swift wing, the whole universe and the germ that dwelleth in darkness, the darkness that breathes over the slumbering waters of life. Okay. Darkness radiates light, and the light drops one solitary ray into the waters, into the mother deep. The ray shoots through the virgin egg. The ray causes the eternal egg to thrill and drop the non-eternal germ, which condenses into the world egg. Like, excuse me. Yeah. And this is after this point, shit gets really complicated. I'm sure. That I'm not sure, like, because first of all, I'm not a scholar of theosophy. Are I can there only any take scholars you so of far. I can only take you so far. Yeah. So I think that after this third stanza, we can stop and just then just explain sort of what the rest of them are. Okay. Because this is where it gets fucking wacky. It gets really wacky. And after reading this, because they talk about dragons and stuff, I, I fall asleep. I have a dream that I'm playing um, a game in an arcade where you can choose to like be a ruler of a dragon faction. Okay. Like you're a ruler of a dragon kingdom and you That's get to cool. choose what element you're aligned with. Like there's air dragons, yeah, water yeah, dragons. Yeah, yeah. And I play this game and I choose to like be an air dragon. And then I realize afterwards like, oh fuck, I should have chosen water dragons. I would have been so much better at that. That's so much more suited for my skill set. Like, that's what dream me thought unconsciously. And then I woke up and I was like, what the fuck was that about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. With water dragons, air dragons. Like, should I be, what does that say? Because I have been pulling a lot of swords in my tarot readings. I haven't pulled a cup in God knows how long. Hey, tell me about it. I've just been pulling swords and wands, just like, okay. Like, hmm, I need some water dragons. Yeah, could I'll use a water dragon. You know? <laughs> okay. So the, this, then, we got the, the ray that's gone into the, the waters, a shot through the virgin egg, which causes the eternal I egg. I mean, that throw. reminds me a lot of, like, Genesis. Yeah. You know? The world egg. That's where we are. We're in the world egg. Yep. The mundane egg, as they also say. Yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll tell you all about the mundane egg. Yeah. <laughs> know that mundane egg all too well. All right. Then the th- then the three fall into the four. Three into four. The radiant essence becomes seven inside, seven outside. The luminous egg, which in itself is three, curdles and spreads in milk-white curds throughout the depths of mother, the root that grows in the depths of the ocean of life. The root remains, the light remains, the curds remain, and still... Oyahu is one. Okay, so this Oyahu thing, this is a word to refer to the Logos. Okay. And the Logos is this... Poimandris. Yeah, it's this thing, this 
this deity that's that's within everything, basically. Yeah. So, so it's a word to represent something, the thing that is with, within all things. Iwahu. And it can be pronounced a bunch of different ways, and that's kind of on purpose. Okay. I got it. Yeah, no, yeah. I got it. Yeah. That's why there's seven vowels in it, you know, because she's all about the seven things. It can be pronounced seven different ways, you know, right, like right, blah, right. blah, blah. Yeah. Okay. The root of life was in every drop of the ocean of immortality. And the ocean was radiant light, which was fire, heat, and motion. Darkness vanished and was no more. It disappeared in its own essence, the body of fire and water, or mother and father. Or father and mother. Or father and mother. Behold, O Lanu. Like, excuse me, what? Who's Lanu? Child of the two, the unparalleled refulgent glory. Lanu is just another word for Chela. Okay. Because there's always more words for things that mean the same thing. Bright space, son of dark space, which emerges from the depths of the great, of the great dark waters. It is Oyahu the younger, whom thou knowest now as Quan Shi Yin. He shines forth as the sun. He is the blazing dragon of, the blazing divine dragon of wisdom. The Eka is Chatur, and Chatur takes itself three, and the union produces the Sapta seven. And whom are the seven, mm, in whom are the seven which become... The Tridasa, or the hosts and the multitudes, behold him lifting the veil and unfurling from unfurling it from east to west. He shuts out the above and leaves the below to be seen as the great illusion. He marks the places for the shining ones and turns the upper into a shoreless sea of fire and the one manifested into the great waters. Where was the germ and where was now darkness? Where is the spirit of the flame that burns in thy lamp, O Lanu? The germ is that, and that is light, the white brilliant sun. Of the dark hidden father. Yes. Light is cold flame, and flame is fire, and fire produces heat which yields water, the water of life in the great mother chaos. Father mothers spin a web whose upper end is fastened to spirit, the light of the one darkness and the lower one to matter. Its shadowy end, and this web and this web is the universe spun out of the two substances made in one, which is Svabhavat. It the web, expands when the breath of fire is upon it. It contracts when the breath of the mother touches it. Then the sons dissociate and scatter to return to their mother's bosom at the end of the great day and re-become one with her. When it is cooling, it becomes radiant and the sons expand and contract through their own selves and hearts. They embrace infinitude. Then Svabhavat sends Forhat to harden the atoms. Then Svabhavat sends Fohat to harden the atoms. Each Each is part of the web, Reflecting the self-existent Lord, like a mirror, each becomes in turn a world. Yeah. <laughs> Jelly brain. Yep. That's that's about where my brain goes. Jelly as well, because. Yeah. Whoa. 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 Yeah. Right. Like, and it's all just a lot of words to say something that we kind of already get just from knowing the the three principles like does any of the rest of this really i mean yeah i mean it to me it's just like it's another it's all just a bunch of words for the same thing to say the same thing over and over again yeah i mean it's just like it's a it's a creation myth just extraordinarily dense Mm -hmm. and difficult and abstract yeah but it's really not from what i'm like getting it's not that much different than like what's 
uh, written in like the Corpus Hermeticum. It's a lot of the same shit. I mean, plus the the whole egg business. Yeah, and there's a lot of talks of like triangles, cubes, and like yeah, holes and. I mean, it seems like it's a synthesis of a lot of shit, but like, very like, it seems easier to just get it by reading the source material. Yeah, you know what I'm saying, right? Um, there's something about it that just feels needlessly complex. Well, it needed to, so it could be the spooky fucking thing that right. Blasky needed it to be. Yeah, and like, it's I at once like am more impressed by her mysticism as i usually am whenever i do read blavatsky but it's needlessly dense it's a lot of shit yeah it's a lot it is i like how i'm like i'm i am just assuming that she just wrote this too you know what i mean (laughs) because my thoughts on the actual content it's it's not really relevant to like what we're doing here you know, the actual story of the creation of the universe is like, right. oh, it all came from nothing. And here, are like, okay, I get it. Like, I don't, honestly, I, I could dig into it, but I don't feel like I would be better any better at the end or, like, have any deeper understanding of the universe or my place in it. I don't think that I personally, like, need this to help inform my uh, place in the universe right. to understand it. I don't feel that, I also have enough going on that I don't need a great big puzzle right. to solve. And I think for a lot of people, they go to theosophy because that is what it helps provide is a sense of mystery and, and a never ending puzzle. Yeah, definitely. Which is really appealing. And I like digging into the puzzle every now and then, but it's like not important enough for me to finish it or like go searching for any of the missing pieces. Yeah. It's like... I mean, and it's like a 20,000 piece puzzle, you know, and maybe like I'm, I'm good on that. <laughs> maybe I'm just like oversimplifying it, but it doesn't seem like anything you couldn't get from just living life. Well, living li- or just like other or from religion. From yeah. Any, yes. You know, yeah. from any other theology, mm-hmm. which like, I mean. Yeah, because really like the what's expressed within it is pretty fucking basic. <laughs> I mean, it is, it's just every creation myth. Yeah, no, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty... Um, Just wrapped up in a bunch of, like, terminology. But also, but I mean, she does say, that, like, the point is that we're giving you a formula. Yes. And that there is a formula here that can be applied everywhere. And, like, I mean, that's also nothing new, right? Like, that's that's the tree of life in Kabbalah, right? It's, 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 it's the same idea. It's a formula. It's not an right. accurate representation of, of a thing. It's an abstract formula that can be applied all the way down. Mm-hmm. And in that way, like, like you're going to see a lot of the same fucking ideas within, like, explanations of the Tree of Life and shit. Yeah. Right? In all the various magical traditions and all that shit. You're going to see the same type of thing in, like, the Sefer Yetzirah, which, you know, is a cooler thing to read. Right. It's just, like, it's just, that's, it is just a cooler thing to read. You see, like, a lot of the same shit, like the threes and the fours and the fucking, you know, shit like that. Yeah. Um. Like this idea of seven within, seven without. So there's like the Gianni Chohans, the seven builders, the seven celestial beings, archangels, whatever. Yeah. Those are the seven within. There's also seven without who are, I fucking forget. They're they're the Gianni somethings, Mm. but they're not the Gianni Chohans. They're like something else and they're out there 
like in the void. Yeah. And, and they rule that universe. So there's always like everything is getting split apart. There's these incredibly detailed hierarchies of like how things split. And it just feels so needlessly convoluted to me. I mean, I get it because there's always something to tack on and a new branch to go down. When you, you know, think that you figured out one thing is like, oh, wait, but there's more. Yeah. But yeah, I guess this this will this is a good place to talk about this dude, William Emmett Coleman. Okay. So he was a radical non-Christian spiritualist and critic of Helena Blavatsky. Okay. He spent a considerable amount of time and effort trying to discredit her works, specifically the Book of Xi'an. Yeah, so this guy had become a spiritualist at the age of 16. Then he was made chief clerk in the quartermaster office of the Presidio of San Francisco in 1883. Chief clerk, eh? But yeah, he, um, I don't know. He was a, a very unknown but semi-interesting dude that was really interested in uh, Oriental studies. Yeah, that's what they called it back in the day. Yeah. He's, Looking at Asia. He's an Orientalist, his Wikipedia page says. Okay. So he's known for that, and he's known for just hating Blavatsky. Word. So he's really skeptical of the authenticity of her sources. He decides to do a little research, which leads him to believing that Blavatsky had drawn primarily from a few different sources, namely H.H. Wilson's translation of the, the Vishnu Purana. Okay. Alexander Winchell's World Life, also known as Contemporary Geology. And Ignatius Donnelly's Atlantis, the Antediluvian World. As well as, you know a few other scientific occult works. And he accuses her of plagiarizing these sources without giving proper credit, claims that her use of the materials demonstrated a, you know, pretty superficial understanding of the subjects that she was discussing. Yeah, yeah. And furthermore, he alleged that Blavatsky had borrowed parts of her stanzas of Gion from the Hymn of Creation found in the ancient Sanskrit Rig Veda. Yes. Rig Veda? Sure. Whatever. He promised to write a book that would expose all of Blavatsky's sources, including the origin of the term Jian. We're going to know once and for all. <gasps> However, Coleman's ambitious project to discredit Blavatsky and the Book of Jian never came to fruition because in 1906, there was an earthquake in San Francisco that destroyed his whole library, all the notes that oh, he had. Oh, shit. And unable to recover his research and material, never completed his expose and passed away three years later. Holy shit. So that book just never came out. Because of an earthquake. Yep. Thinking of Charles Ledbetter meditating real hard in Australia. Oh, yeah. Shaking the shaking the world. Uh, what else is interesting that, like, the the book of Jian, the stanzas of Jian, also come up in um, some Lovecraft works. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yep. I, I was thinking there's hints of Lovecraftian shit in there with the unknowableness and the you know, that's it. Where it was, where does it, where does it show up in Lovecraft? In uh, the Haunter of the Dark. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 That's where the character, like, he discovers um, a library full of a bunch of disintegrating old books. The Necronomicon is in there. Right. And the Book of Gian is in there too. Okay. Interesting. It also shows up uh, in the Diary of Alonzo Typer. Which is a 1935 story that Lovecraft that Lovecraft wrote in conjunction 
with William Lumley. I have not read that one. That's interesting, though, that Lovecraft was exposed to theosophy. Apparently, he found um, the mythology of theosophy really interesting, but also referred to its advocates as sophical charlatans. Fuck yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what he's right, he's right. Sometimes he's really not right, though. That's really that's really interesting, though, especially in the context of like, like the Lovecraftian currents of magic. Yeah. It literally just keeps going back to theosophy. Right? It's so fucked. <laughs> oh, God. I'm like slowly starting to understand what was meant by that paper called Theosophy of Hyperstition. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I don't feel like I understand the creation of the universe any better. Oh, not at all. Not at all. But I do. I enjoy that, like the stanzas of John, the book of Coyote, that like these things exist in our universe. I think that that it's it's interesting. Yeah. How these semi-fictional pieces of literature then go on to inform entire faith systems. Yeah. I mean, when you look at if you look at like what Blavatsky did with uh, through the lens of like, you know, ARGs, psyops, shit like that, like there's it's pretty incredible sophistication. Yeah. In how theosophy was brought about, in in what Blavatsky Theosophy very much felt like a modern mystery school. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. And like, there's one of the problems is that like, it's sort of that like Puharic thing, right? Where it's like, there's just so much there that it can't, it almost be weirder if it was like, if there was nothing there. If there was, if it was just a charlatan fucking hoax him up. Right. You know what I mean? Like, and that's not to say that she didn't just like fucking rip shit off and just like write some shit like she did. She was a trickster. She was the arch trickster. But there was a purpose behind it. And like in, in that way, like that, I think some of the most effective acts of magic are creation of fictions like that. Mm -hmm. You know? Well- and I think that what, because I'm reading the stanzas of Jian now when I can easily go on the internet and like look up the meanings of all of these things. But back in the day, if a student, a chela, if you will, was to pick these up to try and learn more about theosophy, they wouldn't have to just learn about theosophy. They would have to go and learn about these other things like Tibetan Buddhism in order to understand the words even used in here. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, it yeah. would send them on this other journey of learning about Eastern traditions. They'd also probably just not. Yeah. You know, it would take someone like Homeboy who uh, amassed a huge library without which he can't do it to like take it down and stuff. I mean, it's it, it's really easy to fall into the trap of thinking everyone had the internet forever because we they just, totally didn't. They totally didn't. And they're like, we just, it's, the whole conception of the world is different right? Just from the outset with that, you know, capability. And I have to imagine that there's something very enticing. And I imagine I would be really enticed by it in like 1910 if I was alive then. Oh, absolutely. By this idea of like, here's this ancient wisdom that's been translated into English and yet it's still so foreign. I'm reading words in English, but I have no idea what I'm reading. Right. right and right. like sort of the thrill of that. But knowing that within that, is supposedly the secrets of the universe. Like, what else do you have to do back then? That would be fun. Especially if you're a rich fucker. Yeah, and then you get together with other people and try to, like, decode it, talk about it, 
talk about the meaning of life, talk about where you came from. Yeah, absolutely. But it's also... I don't know. It's like, it's... The modern world doesn't feel like it has a place for a text such as this. Well, yes, but I don't know. Hmm. Because there is like mythologies and shit and fabricated mythologies and shit that that do have a purpose. It just maybe happens in a different medium. It does. Like theosophy isn't really... Because I would... Theosophy isn't hot right now. Except for all of its children. Yeah. How much it fucking created. Right. Like you cannot escape it ever. Yeah. Ever. Theosophy itself isn't really popping off at the time. Like... I mean, I would say that it is, but people don't realize it is. Yes, yes, yes. They don't realize they're part of what theosophy spawned, mm-hmm. which is very interesting. Like, there's so much of what's considered to be ancient knowledge, ancient wisdom, ancient magic is just theosophy. There's all sorts of stuff that isn't, right? Like, yeah. But there's so much that just is theosophy. And, it's confusing to me because of how incomprehensible the secret doctrine is. Like, I wonder how much of Theosophy's influence is actually due to the contents of the works rather than the actions of the Theosophists. Yeah, because when we were like going through the contents of it, at a certain point, I realized like none of this has to actually do with what the story's about. Yeah, I mean, like, kind of, sort of, but again, with the egg thing, this idea of the three principles, the cosmology, whatever, that feels like a shell wrapped around something else. Yes. Or like an egg within an egg. Like, that's not the real story. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like The 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 real story is how the story was written and compiled and what effect it had on reality. Right. Yeah, exactly. Precisely. Like it's it's an it's an act of magic, right? It's the thing is not the thing, the the uh, and and I, God, that's just it's getting so close to this idea that I've been trying to figure out how the fuck to explain and express it. It's that it, I get so frustrated by people seeming to not understand that someone can write something without without believing a thing that they're writing, and at the same time not doing a con job. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. It's not a money grab. It's not. And I feel like. No. I feel like like the, the, the default like skeptical position on things is that it's a simple con job always. And it's not with theosophy. And it's not with a lot. I mean, that's sort of like the, the essence of magical text is it's not a con job. It might not be real. Yeah. But it's for a purpose. It's a weapon. Um, yeah. Weaponized language. Weaponized storytelling. I mean, there's like, I don't know, there's a lot of weird shit in there, man. I mean, like Krishnamurti saw a man fucking walk through a wall once. You know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of weird shit up in there. The fact that the Theosophists were able to do all this this shit that they did, a lot of weird stuff up in there. Like, I don't know. Well, it makes me think of the role of Isis in Theosophy and like how enduring she is as a figure and also how multicultural she is and how Theosophy more or less mirrors that yeah i mean i don't i I don't know how much i don't know much about the isis role in theosophy i mean me either but i i know there's a book called isis unchained (laughs) yes there should be 
I feel like Blavatsky almost saw herself as a priestess of Isis. Not directly, but like indirectly, she was almost like running a, a cult of worship for these ancient deities without... Like, I don't know if that's what she was consciously doing, but she kind of was. Well, I mean, okay, so there's the idea, like, you know, the first is, like, is there a perennial true truth about truth, right? Like, that's the, is, is, which I think, like, yes, there is a, there is capital T truth. Like, you know, as someone who describe himself as a theist vaguely, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Things like a lot of the cosmology portrayed in here is probably like pretty true and portrayed like there's all there's ideas that everything keeps going back to. I, I like I, I pretty much reject like the I mean, like the, the atheist position would, would be that there's there's no there's no truth to mystical knowledge, mystical realization. I think there is. I think there is. And I think that, you know, theosophy is just an example of Blavatsky doing the mystic thing. Right. Except with spook shit on top of it. Like with the with espionage tactics and shit on top of it, the trickery, right? Yeah. Well, in Blavatsky's view, there was two truths. Jesus. There's the absolute truth and the relative truth. Right. The absolute truth is something that can never be changed, just is and always will be. Right. And like the absolute truth is basically that everything is true and nothing is true. Okay. You know, yeah. it's, it's non-dualistic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's that's where the everything is. And then the other type of truth, relative truth, well, that's like, that's, that's the truth that we experience in the realm of Maya, the realm of illusion yes. in our world. Right. So that truth is not a, the absolute truth, but it is a version of the truth to her in Blavatsky's view. A facsimile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. I, 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 it's exhausting. It is exhausting. It's fucking exhausting. The same, like... Because here's the other thing. You can kind of just meditate for a while and get there without yep. without anything. You can just, just kind of get there. Theosophy is really good for that. Because if you go into it thinking like, oh, I'm going to try to like puzzle out the secrets of the universe. You're going to get about an hour into reading and your mind's going to be so fucked and scrambled that you're going to need to be like, No. And then you're just going to stare out your window for five minutes and you're going to notice shit outside your window that you never noticed because you just need a break from reading all of that. Maybe that's the point. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I wouldn't put it past her. God, this is so overly complicated. Why don't you just go outside and enjoy life instead? But you can come back to this and, and continue the puzzle when you're bored. God, I like both want to read The Secret Doctrine and don't. I feel like I don't know. It's like a house of leaves situation where yeah. it's like you can you can go through it and read it from start to finish or like read a paragraph, read a page from start to finish. But at a certain point, you're going to realize, uh-huh. Yeah. I, I need a, I need the computer next to me while I read this. And I need to stop after every single paragraph and like yeah. look shit up. And it's easy to see how like... It, People could just take that and just like run with it in whatever way. And you also see how like how easy it was for like the post Blavatsky theosophists, the the Bassants or Ledbetters, to just say, Do you wanna just not you wanna just not think about that shit? Yeah, you wanna make this a lot more simple. Yeah. Yeah, let's do and that. And from a perspective of like not understanding it, because there's not really What is there to understand? What is there to understand other than Helena Petrovna Blavatsky 
being probably having a fucked up temporal lobe, seeing shit other people couldn't see, being real fucking smart, and doing some weird shit. Yep. At the end of the day, she was just a wacky lady. Yeah, it's like, I really don't give a shit if, a wacky if this old... was plagiarized or not. I'm going to call her a wacky old battle axe. Yeah, she is. <laughs> You know, whether or not any of this was plagiarized... I don't think it matters. It's it, not, it really doesn't. Yeah, it's not, that's, not, that's not really the important thing there. I think the only, like, the only important thing about theosophy is the reach and the... And how it's evolved. Yeah, yeah. And somehow... And it's almost like you almost want to start like comparing her to like a Muhammad-type character in, in that someone who created a religion from pre-existing things. But she's not. It's a different thing. It's a totally different thing because... Um, it's almost, it's a secret doctrine sort of, right? Like it's, it's a, it's a thing that just evolved and lost its original trappings, lost its original, like, yeah, like you're, like you were saying, like it, people don't realize that they're thinking in theosophical terms. A lot of times they, they don't realize how much shit comes from theosophy, mm-hmm. right? Whereas versus like religions. Oh no, you're aware, you know? Like there's no, you, you can't be playing in Christian waters and not know it comes from Christianity. Right. You can't be playing in Islamic waters and not know it comes from Islam. Oh, but you, you know? can come across the masters and have no idea where that came from. Right. Yeah. You can come across the rays and the fucking chakra colors and shit and not yeah. know where that came from. But yeah. Like I'm, I, I also wonder like, you know, knowing that Lovecraft was exposed to theosophy. Yeah. How much then is like. The Lovecraftian currents of magic go back to theosophy too. Right. If you, so, it, well, it's interesting because when he references the books of Gion in his stories, it's always like when talking about other collections of books too. Like he found that book in a library full of the abhorred Necronomicon. Right, right. The sinister Liber Ivanis, the infamous Cultes de Gauss. Like, then there's like a German text and another. So it's like she... This this text, the Book of Gion in Lovecraft literature, yeah. is mentioned alongside other like manuscripts of power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's then very funny that like the Necronomicon was then turned into the exact same thing. Yeah. Like the exact same thing. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm another fucking magician's trick. Yeah. This is, yeah. Theosophy needs to be understood from a teleological perspective. It's about what it does. Yeah, it's not about if it's real or not. Right, it's about what it, it does. never is. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if, if we haven't learned it by now, the truth doesn't matter to people. No, no. People have their own special truths. Right. <laughs> like Everything about theosophy comes back to its teleology, which is a word that I learned through theosophy. <laughs> Well, through the children of theosophy by way of the nine. We got through three stanzas of seven. Yeah, and, and there's a lot more in the book, too. I mean, that that's just three out of seven of yeah, of, Cos- of the first, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Forget the other 14. That's so funny. God. Yeah. Well, shit. Well, what did lot. we learn today, folks? Let, let's recap. Nothing is real and nothing matters. And everything is real. Theosophy will break your brain no matter how much you try to let it not. And nothing is real. Yes. There you have it. It's all Maya. It's, it's all just a great big illusion. There's a, um, a friend of mine 
told me a, a story one of her professors talked about about like explaining the concept of Maya and it's like the most beautiful thing I've ever heard in my life. We're already at hour 20, so I'm not going to tell it, but it's a, <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Well, it's it's um basically that like the, a student of Krishna's is walking behind him and he's Krishna being, you know, the god. And he's like, Lord Krishna, like you've exp- you've explained all these things to me, but you haven't told me what Maya is, you know, what's, what is mine? He's like, I can't tell you that. I can't tell you that. And he's like walking behind him through the forest and he keeps asking him. He's like, I can't tell you that. And then they get to this river that they try to cross, but like the, stu- the student gets swept up by the river and like sent downstream and he fucking comes to, he can't see Krishna anywhere. He's in a part of the forest. He doesn't know where the hell he is. And he gets up and he looks around. He can't see Krishna. So he just starts walking. He hears like something and sees signs of civilization. So he walks to this village and he's like, well, shit, I don't know where I am. Krishna's gone. I got to like eat. Like, so he goes to a shop. He's like, Hey, do you have any like work I can do? Shopkeeper like gives him a broom, tells him it's fine. And then he like meets the uh, shopkeeper's daughter and they fall in love. He doesn't have anywhere else to go. So he's just like working at the shop. He falls in love. Eventually he has a house in the village and some kids and, he has a great long life. And as an old man, he uh, closes his eyes one final time to die. And he wakes up sputtering water at the banks of the river. And he sees Krishna standing over him and he says, that's Maya. Like, it's just, I did a shit job retelling that quickly, but like, it's a, it's a heck of an explanation. It is. And it's, it reminds me so much of an episode of Adventure Time. I'm sure. Yeah. There's literally really uh, an episode of Adventure Time that's just like that. Really? Yeah. Very interesting. Okay. I mean, yeah. Huh. I'd like to see that. Is it Krishna in Adventure Time? No, it's like an an alternative version of um, Finn. Word. Because like Adventure Time does some weird alternate universe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a show uh, a lot of people have said very good things about. I have not. It's amazing. Hell yeah. Very esoteric. Hell yeah. Well, I think that does her. Yeah, I think that does her. Yeah, that's a, that does it. That that does it. Thank you guys so much for your support. Yes. We Thank appreciate you. it greatly. Yeah, keep being fucking rad. And uh, we'll catch you on the flip side. Take care. Peace. Peace. Peace.